Contrary to what the ads have been telling you since September and October, Christmas season is just starting today. We've been socialized by the secular forces all around us to believe that Christmas is about giving and receiving material goods, that Christmas is a transactional exchange of wrapped packages. We've lost sight that it's about celebrating the gift received in the birth of Jesus. But here, in this sanctuary, we have the power to dispel those marketing notions. Here in this sanctuary, it is foundational and safe for gifts to be something other than what was purchased or wrapped. On this first Sunday in Advent, here in this sanctuary, we begin to discern the non-tangible gifts of hope, joy, peace, and love. As Christians, we are called to center our holiday and focus on the arrival of this Son of God. We are asked to examine our faith in our hearts and see how it plays out in our lives. We are believers that the Prince of Peace was born as a gift to all humanity and that the peace of Christ grows when we nurture hope for all. So on this first Sunday of Advent, like any five-year-old child on Christmas morning, I'm going to jump right to the gifts. I'm going to zoom right past that Christmas story to the arrival of the wise men bringing gifts. And they arrived with gifts for a king, from a king, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Just exactly what any first-time parent wants. <laughs> In a moment, we will read Matthew. And I'm asking you to listen for the motives behind the gifts delivered. These wise men that we've come to endear are more aptly special agents or spies of Herod's. Their travel was the genesis of Herod's nefarious motives. They were arriving in Bethlehem to suss out the suspicious prophecy of a new leader, a child nonetheless. They were to follow a star of destiny and report back to Herod who and what was the possible threat. They followed the orders and arrived. But upon laying eyes on that holy babe, their lives were changed, and they changed course. Seeing baby Jesus was their epiphany. The gift givers of gold and frankincense and myrrh actually become the receivers of yet greater gifts, not found in treasure boxes, but in the hope and the joy and the peace of a tiny babe. This reading is from Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. In the time of King Herod, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, asking, Where is the child who has been born King of the Jews? For we observed his star at its rising, and have come to pay him homage. When King Herod heard this, he was frightened, and all Jerusalem with him. 
and calling together all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Messiah was to be born. They told him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it has been written by the prophet, and you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who is to shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod secretly called the wise men and learned from them the exact time when the star had appeared. Then he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me words so that I may also go and pay him homage. When they had heard the king, they set out, and there ahead of them went the star that they had seen at its rising, until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw that the star had stopped, they overwhelmed with joy. On entering the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they knelt down and paid him homage. Then opening their treasure chests, they offered him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they left for their own country by another road. Hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. Amen. It's been an interesting morning. I have about 10 hours of writing time logged in this sermon that I'm not going to use. Why, you ask? I had an epiphany this morning at about 7 a.m. that all of the words that I had written in here about hope and the lessons of the season, I had already given you 10 years ago, almost to the day, in a testimony when I found the vulnerability as a layperson to come up and speak about my faith journey. It was the beginning of my call. And I know so often many of you are like, how are you called? How does this happen? It's not a lightning bolt and a shazam and a cape, but it's a slow drip. It's an unfolding. It's a letting go. What I have known in this journey from laity to clergy is that so often I and many of you hold tightly to what we know. We hold it in this fist so that we don't let go. We have a false sense of security and we can resist change. But what I've learned in my faith journey is that this is where the hope unfolds. This open palm, the letting go and the letting in is where God arrives. So this morning, with my finch, this clenched around that sermon, the epiphany said, let go and give the gift that was given to you, the gift of hope that ignited your faith, and share it. So with your blessing, I will repurpose a testimony that I gave 10 years ago. And some of you will remember it, and others of you have not heard it. 
It's a hard, hard story to tell. Just as difficult journeys are hard to tell and hard to set forth in, right? Those unknown steps, the uncertainty, the future. But when we're led by God for the right reasons and we listen to the whispers, we are called to let go and let God lead. So years ago, 10 years ago, there was a star that was leading me. And now there is another star leading me. And it's a journey of hope. So while this sanctuary and all of you were the gift of my beginning, I'm going to have an ending that's not really an ending, just a new beginning. It's Alpha, Omega, Alpha. So now I will share the best gift ever. Christmas has always been a favorite holiday for my family, and my mom was the ringleader of all the excitement. As a parent, I'm now finding out just how much work goes into creating Christmas magic. But oh, the joy that it brings. Christmas is everything that my mom loved. Glitz, tradition, family, friends, chocolate, music, chocolate, surprises, and more importantly, Jesus. As small children, we were always allowed to help set up the nativity manger. She was an educator and valued hands-on learning, so even at the expense of baby Jesus being carted off to unknown stables while the shepherds weren't watching, he somehow made it back to his manger. And then when I was old enough to learn, understand and learn the value of a daughter, she taught me the intoxicating effects of sale shopping. The more red slashes through a price tag, the greater need to have it. The ugliest thing in the world can look great at the right price. What is often a retailer's purge is a shopper's binge that allows for year-round shopping. This is how our family gift closet evolved. There was always something for someone on any occasion. As typical of many households on Christmas morning, the aftermath of wrapping paper covered our living room floor by about 7 a.m. Photos in pajamas and bedheads were taken, phone calls to relatives made, and yet another pot of coffee for my parents. The oranges from our stocking were made into fresh fruit salad with marshmallows and those bright red maraschino cherries. And then we had a day filled with playing with new toys and trying on new clothes. But hours after the early morning frenzy, my brother and I would be engrossed with our new toys only to be startled by my mom saying, oh, wait, I have one more thing. And she would abruptly disappear usually to the gift closet or another undisclosed hiding spot, only to appear with one more gift. We wondered, what else did she wrap and forget about? What did she organize out of sight? I bet she bought it in, in July and didn't remember. She would reappear with her one more thing, 
that always became an anticipated tradition. But 13 years ago, the long running joys of our traditional Christmas had changed dramatically and our ringleader was struggling for her life and to be here for one more Christmas. It was the holiday she loved so much. And the breast cancer from 14 years earlier had come back for a third and final time. The cancer had spread to her bones and it was eating her ribs and her spine and it invaded her liver. But we had September. Many of those days were spent in Madison at the University Hospital and day after day were filled with tests and multiple attempts for the right pain medications and the news that she only had months to live. One evening, she fell into a deep sleep while reading a card from a friend. She had a fierce grip on that card, but she wasn't present. My brother and I were bouncing off the walls as if the barometer had plummeted, coming out of our skin, and my brother was gonna change his travel plans because something was not right. We thought she might die that night. But then she awakened and spoke with a clarity that she hadn't for days and said, I just had a conversation with God and I have some say in this. I asked her if she knew when this was going to happen and she said, during the holidays. It was profound. Then we had October together. She was able to sit outside briefly and draw faces on the kids' Halloween pumpkins. Her friends, who I come to think of as angels in the making, built her a 10-foot-tall grapevine tree. There were no fewer than 2,500 sparkling white lights woven through the vines of that grapevine tree. And at the top was a plume of prairie grass that would dance in the breeze. That tree was visible from all angles of her resting spots. When people came to visit and weren't quite sure what to say, the tree was likely a topic. When as a family our thoughts were vacuous, it was something to stare at. And in the next months, my brother and I and my dad were up at all hours of the night physically and emotionally exhausted, but needing to prepare the next dose of medication by the light cast from that tree. That tree kept the light burning for our aching hearts. We had November together. She was able to come to Glen Ellen for Thanksgiving. I had a hospital bed put in my den and dinner catered. We let go of our usual traditions. My brother's mother-in-law had just passed away the week before, so there was a dense gray fog that hung over us. My mom was so sick. She was in pain, and the medication was taking its toll. I tried to engage her in the holiday decorating, which she 
loved, and it was actually her forte, wanting so badly for things to just be normal. She obliged, but she had no stamina. We had one last family picture taken by my decorated staircase, my brother and his family, my family, and our parents. There we were, captured in a snapshot with this look of uncertainty as to what our days would become. We had December. This was unlike any other Decembers or months that we had ever experienced. We were told there were only weeks left. The traditions of making caramel corn and holiday parties and the chaos of wrapping gifts were distant memories. Instead, there were casseroles from friends and neighbors and small gatherings of my parents' closest friends to hug. And the precious gift of time together was moving from days to moments. The gifts of this season were not wrapped, but rather life-altering gestures of love and grace and friendship and faith. The friends that cared for us were and are amazing people. They anticipated our needs when we could not articulate them for ourselves. They carried us with prayers, food, memories, and levity and laughter when we needed it the most. These were the gifts given to our family as tributes to my parents' charismatic, generous, humble, and endearing friendships that they made over the 35 years in Oshkosh. They lived their lives as partners to each other and pillars in the community. They were, without exaggeration, friends to everyone. My brother lived in Atlanta, but was able to travel to Oshkosh because of his job and the flexibility and an empathetic wife. And I was able to travel to Oshkosh frequently because of the kindness of my friends and my neighbors and my husband and my in-laws that overtook the, took over the responsibilities of caring for three young children. Our Oshkosh family, my brother, myself, my mom, and my dad, had days alone together again for the first time in nearly 20 years. My mom loved having her two babies all to herself. What happened in those last days of December were sacred. We watched and interacted with my mom while she was straddling this world and the next. She was gracious and willing to let us care for her she also allowed others to visit on her journey to full grace. She knew that after a lifetime of giving, it was important to let others give to her and to us. She knew that giving makes people feel better, and she knew people so well. My parents' pastor came to visit us several times and would lead us in prayers and guide us when we weren't sure what to pray for. Various combinations of family members and friends prayed on bended knee beside my mom's bed 
sometimes without words of their own, reciting the Lord's Prayer. Our emotional voices resonated in each other's ears. This is when my mom pinched her fingers together and placed them in the palm of my hand for the first time and she said, for you. So what is this, mom? It's a good Lord's wish. Thank you, Mama. And I kissed her cheek. A few days later, or it could have been hours, for the concept of time had eluded all of us, my aunt was in the bedroom visiting. I was sitting on my mom's bed, and then she pinched her fingers together again and for a second time pecked at them in the palm of my hand. Rings and pearls. Don't lose them. (laughs) Thank you, Mama. I won't lose them. And then she gave me one more gift that Christmas with the fingers pinched in the palm of my hand. The last gift she gave me was a Snickers candy bar. Since we were little kids, My mom said all she wanted at her funeral were white daisies and snicker bars. And that's how I knew she was ready to leave us. Those of you who have had the privilege of caring for someone on their deathbed know the miracles and the mysteries of dying. Our special caregiver, Roxy, consoled me saying that death is a miracle. It's just God reclaiming you from your birth. We had so many moments that we thought might be her last. So many anxious nights. My dad and my brother and I, lying on the bedroom floor, snuggled together like puppies, waking with every stir that she made, or sometimes it didn't make. We were told it could be any time. The hospice caregivers, our friends, and our pastor were amazed at her tenacity to be here. We were reminded that there was a saying, that you leave the world the same way you came in. She was a fighting preemie, and now a cancer fighter, looking to be here for one more Christmas. It was only, only, by God's grace and the prayers of others and the angels that carry me, carried me that I found the courage to let go and say goodbye to my mom. I knew that she wanted to be alone with my dad when she died. It was the way our family started and it was only days away for, from their 40th wedding anniversary. The heart of Christmas is about children, and I knew she wanted me to be back in Glen Ellen with mine. Late in the evening on December 23rd of 2005, I said goodbye to my mother. She tried to talk, but her voice was inaudible. In our lopsided conversation, or dialogue, I made a request. I knew a family story 
that when my mom's dad dropped dead of a heart attack at the dining room table when she was only 14 years old, that the dining room chandelier lights flickered as they never had before. She always thought that that was her dad communicating with her. Nearly 45 years later, after her mother died, she was standing in my dining room and the chandelier lights blinked. I was standing next to her and she asked me, has that ever happened before? No, never, I answered. And with a radiant smile, she said, that's my mom. She's in heaven. So that last night, I kissed her and asked, will you please blink the lights when you get to heaven? She lived for Christmas all her life and just one more day. This was a negotiated deal between she and God on that September night in Madison, and God held up her end of the deal. December 26, my mom died with my dad beside her. She had a glorious smile on her face. Awed by the glory of God's kingdom, and the bounty of heaven's love. I returned to Oshkosh after she had died and, like the firstborn, was responsible for the funeral arrangements and picking out her clothes. Alone in her room, where just days ago we had lived in a cocoon, wrapped in each other for nearly a month, I talked to her and blew a kiss to that grapevine Christmas tree. It was surreal, standing there in that space, alone. She was just here. But my mother was in heaven, looking down on me right then and there, and continues to. That tree that burned so brightly during our last days and hours together fulfilled my request and God's promise to us all. One strand of lights at the bottom of the tree started blink blinking rapidly. It paused and blinked and blinked and blinked. They were blinking until the whole strand burned out. I had yelled for my dad to enter the room. I said, look, remember what I asked mom to do? She's okay. She's in heaven. Amazement, sobs, laughter, and hugs. She continued two special family traditions by blinking the lights and saying, here's one more gift. It's the gift of absolute faith with a blinking and glowing exclamation point. That, my friends, is my gift from my mother and my gift to you. Merry Christmas. <laughs>